Hello, welcome to Black British Girl Talks Crime, Finance, etc. A podcast about crime, finance and other things. Each week I will bring you a true crime story or financial advice or just about life as a black girl in British society. Follow along for true crime stories, tips on budgeting or home ownership and general insight into current events and black British life. Hi everyone, again, thank you so much for subscribing to my channel and I recently watched a BBC documentary about black activists in Britain so I will link that below because this is how I got this story. So this is about Michael de Fretas and he was born in Belmont, Port of Spain, Trinidad and Tobago in the 17th of August 1933. He was the child of an Obia practicing black woman from Barbados and an absent Portuguese father from St Kitts. Encouraged by his mother to pass for white in a society that preferred fair skin, Red Mike was headstrong and at 14 was expelled from school. A seafaring job brought the wayward teenager to Britain, what was known then as the land of hope and glory. He docked at Cardiff in his mid-twenties and decided to stay in Britain. Like many poor black immigrants with limited choice of housing in 1957, he gravitated to the overcrowded shabbiness of West London, specifically Bravington Road, West Nine between Kilbourne and Ladbroke Grove which was actually the territory of the notorious landlord Peter Rackman. In Cardiff, he moved because there was limited choice of jobs um, and mostly working in bus garages or car factories for black people. So he soon took up hustling and pimping and he married a young Guyanese woman. And when he moved to London, it was pretty much the same. Um, Getting back into pimping, organising gambling rackets with limited success and taking part in a scam stealing luggage from the West London Air Terminal in Cromwell Road. In 1958, Michael moved to Southern Street in Notting Hill with his partner Desiree. He married her and they had three children. He also worked as an enforcer and frontman for the notorious slum landlord Peter Rackman. He originally actually started as his tenant and he said that this was a role he didn't like but paid for his lifestyle. So he looked for a way out and he became involved in the radical politics and groups active in and around Notting Hill at the time. Um, A bit more about Peter Rackman, he was a Polish-born landlord who operated in Notting Hill, London at the time in the 50s and early 60s and houses were also subdivided into a number of flats to increase the number of tenancies without rent controls. And he filled the property with recent migrants from the West Indies and his reputation, and he promoted this, was as someone who could help find and provide accommodation for immigrants, but he was overcharging these West Indian tenants and they did not have the same protection under the law as the previous tenants. So if you've heard of the word Rachmanism, this is a synonym for him, which means the exploitation and intimidation of tenants. And also strangely, Michael fought Rachman for this overcharging when he was a tenant, but then as I said, he ended up working for him. So during the summer of 1958, Notting Hill sporadically exploded in incidents of violence. Caribbean men were being attacked and beaten on the streets by large groups of white men. Um, Racial hatred was encouraged by different groups like Oswald Mosley, the Union Movement and the White Defence League, whose motto was keep Britain white. Um, Outside the Calypso Club on Westbourne Park Road, a meeting was held as three West Indians addressed a crowd, urging them to start committees, write their MPs to protest against the indiscriminate attacks and the rising tide of racial hatred. And Michael was asked to speak and it was his first political speech. And he told the crowd, if you don't need committees and representations, what you need is to get a few pieces of iron and a bit of organization. So when they come here, we can defend ourselves. And there was a roar of support and Michael led an attack on a local club used exclusively by white criminals. 
Some of us lobbed petrol bombs in the back of the buildings while the rest waited in ambush out front. That was a quote from him. So as the 1960s progressed, Michael, like many black men, began attending um, meetings of West Indian men where race was frequently discussed with events in America, also developing a new black consciousness across the world and a launch of the black newspaper called The Magnet. Michael heard a speech by the American Malcolm X, leader of the Nation of Islam, and then somewhat of a marginal figure. But he was impressed, so he invited Malcolm X to dinner in Primrose Hill. Malcolm X turned up at 10.30, he started listening to music and didn't drive him back to his hotel till 1am. So for the remainder of Malcolm X's British tour, Michael travelled with him. And in a hotel in Birmingham, Malcolm Hall told a receptionist to save a room for my brother, Michael. And she took him literally and entered the name Michael X in the reservation book and Michael swiftly adopted his new name. So following Malcolm X's assassination, just three weeks later, Michael was profiled in the papers, portrayed as a leading light in British black nationalism and repeating Michael's boast that he'd been involved in organising Notting Hill riots and had been to Russia for political meetings, which he hadn't, but um, was the leader of the black or British organisation, which was true and had 2000 members. So with no one else at the fore, however, the article portrayed him as the voice of alternative black British culture, which led to him forming his own political group, the Radical Adjustment Action Society in 1965. So by the mid 1960s, Michael's self-converted to Islam and adopted the name Michael Abdul Malik. And in 1965, he founded the Ra Society, um, a black militant organization in London, which originally eventually had a membership of 45,000. And his newfound political and media fame thrust him into polit Britain's political main stage, but it was short lived. So he continued to portray himself as Britain's most revolutionary black leader with a speech in Reading, seeing him talk about black men running away while white men bleed up black women in Nottingham riots, telling them, if you ever see a white laying hands on a black woman, kill him immediately. The audience laughed, but Michael was charged under new race legislation. So in July 1967, he was charged for hate speech under the 1965 Race Relations Act and was jailed for a year, but he actually spent eight months in prison. So whilst in jail, his ghost-written autobiography was published, but his sales were really poor. And additionally, after a white benefactor pulled the Ras Society's funding, membership sharply declined virtually overnight and the society disbanded in 1968. So when he was released, he created the Black House, representing a harder side of the late 1960s um, ideas on segregation, suspicion, and it was funded by rich white liberals who Michael X actually started to loathe. So he used guilt trips, targeting white radicals, saying they should donate as a way of form of rep reparation for the crimes of slavery. So John Lennon did famously contribute as well. And because he said that he's stolen and commercialized black music. So he got checked from 10,000 pounds from him. Um, the premises of the organization was in Holloway Road in London, and the rent was about 4,000 pounds a year and was paid for by the wealthy Nigel Samuel, who had been spellbound by Michael. So the premises were in poor order and a fundraising brochure was written by a young black South African journalist called Nigel Morrison, um, pitched the Black House Centre for Disaffected Black Youth, where they could make music, put on plays and learn about African history. So he got £20,000 donated, some from Muhammad Ali, who donated several thousand, Sammy Davis Jr, John Lennon, like I said, the money kept rolling in, but nothing changed. So when they came to see the new project, those who don't donated, nothing much was happening. The Black House supermarket intended to sell only African and Western Indian goods with an entirely black staff. They missed opening dates and now, and again and again and again. And Michael Stent started sending out his boys to rip off, rip off the gentle hippie drug dealers. Michael was becoming a dictator, ruling over an almost cult-like gathering of followers and ac acolytes. 
So on 4th of February 1970, Lennon and Yoko Ono, they pop by for a strange publicity stunt where they arrive with newly shorn hair and a bag of Aaron hair, which they swap for Michael's bloodied Muhammad Ali shorts on the roof of the Black House. So the shorts were to be auctioned to raise money for world peace and the hair for funds for the Black House. But the following day, John Lennon appeared with Michael on the Simon D television show and said that Sotheby's declined to sell the hair because they only sell art. So the media um, called the Slave Collar Affair, where businessman Marvin Brown was enticed to the Black House, viciously attacked and made to wear a spiked slave collar around his neck as Michael X and others threatened him in order to extort money. The Black House closed in the autumn of 1970 and two men were found guilty of assaulting Marvin Brown and they were in prison for 18 months. So the Black House finally closed in the autumn of 1970 and Michael blamed its failure on the laziness of the inhabitants and resigned from all this post within the Black Power movement. So the Black House burned down in mysterious circumstances and soon Michael X and four colleagues were arrested for extortion but his bail was paid for John Len by John Lennon in January 1971. In February 1971 he moved back to Trinidad to establish an agricultural commune devoted to black empowerment 16 miles east of the capital port of Spain. He said the only politics I ever understand is the politics of revolution. Um, he told the Trinidad Express the politics of change, the politics of a completely new system. He began another commune, also called the Black House, which in February 19th, 1972 also burned down. So police who had been, come to the commune to investigate the fire discovered the bodies of Joseph Skerritt and Gail Benson, who were members of the commune. So Joseph Skerritt was a handyman who worked on a, the commune, which was falling to pieces. And Gail was a 27-year-old divorced mod, British model and socialite. Um, they had been hacked to death and separately buried in shallow graves. So Gail Benson who'd been going under the name Hale Kimga, was the daughter of Conservative MP Leonard F. Kluge, and she had met Michael X through her relationship with Malcolm X's cousin, Hakeem Jamal, who is an American cousin of Malcolm X. Um, and he, apparently, Gail was murdered first, and then on January 2nd, 1972, soon after that, Joseph was murdered for insubordination and buried on the commune. So at the time of the discovery, Michael X and his family were in Guyana by invitation of the Guyanese Prime Minister Forbes Burnham, and he was then captured in Guyana and charged with the murder of both of these people. But he was never tried for, I think, Gail's crime. Um, it has been said that on February 28th, he tried to flee, flee to Brazil, um, hoping to avoid extra, extradition back to Trinidad. I'm not quite sure whether that is true or not. He was later captured and returned to the um, Trinidad and a witness at his trial said that um, Joseph was a member of Malik's Black Liberation Army and had been killed by him because he refused to obey orders to attack a local police station and he was found guilty and sentenced to death by 1972. So Jeffrey Robertson QC who represented Michael at trial has maintained that the evidence against him was seriously flawed and that his conviction was a terrible injustice. A lot of people pleaded for leniency and clemency um, there's included Angela Davis, um, the well-known radical lawyer William Kunstler, who's paid by John Lennon, but he was hanged in May 1975. Other members of the group were tried for Gail's murder, and it was asserted that she had been shown an open grave and pushed into it um, and killed with a machete. But there was no... I would also like to acknowledge the sources I used, which was the Independent Newspaper, BlackPast.org, HistoryExtra.com, Wikipedia, and Darkest London website. Get your fix 
every week by subscribing to Black British Girl Talks wherever you get your podcasts. Any pictures or further information concerning each episode will be on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram at Black British Girl Talks. And as always, if you have any questions, DM on Instagram. Until next time, goodbye.